On today's episode, we got to sit down with Sheena Brady, the founder and CEO of both Tease Tea and Founders Fund. And she's also in leadership at Shopify and in very close circles with They Get It and our audience. Her best friend is actually Greg from Bathorium, if you remember from a few episodes back. And I gotta say, there are a lot of nuggets in this episode in a relatively short conversation. Um, Sheena's just very open. And you can tell that she is not afraid or ashamed to look back and identify mistakes. And so for any founder out there, I would definitely tune in, especially if you're starting to have some questions around bookkeeping or your financials or even financial literacy. Sheena is your girl. And so what she'll talk about a little bit more in this episode is literally getting to her first $500,000 on a $1,000 credit card which is insane. And it sounds so impressive. And so, you know, I don't know how she did this. She was so like careful with her money, but really she actually peels back the layers and tells us how difficult it was and kind of the opportunity cost of not being financially literate and how that impacted her business. Major, major takeaways there. Mm -hmm. Oh, so much good stuff. And yeah, I just love how candidly she speaks and how open she is about all this. And on that note, just the fact that she talks about succession planning and she's a mom and she's trying to have another child. And so how does she make sure that she can actually step away from the business and what she's learned along the way? And Kelsey, as we were talking after the episode, it's like, as you know better, you do better. Like in our mm-hmm. last episode with Brandy, she learned um, the first time around, and now she's going to be potentially having another child and exploring that again. And I think it's really relevant for women entrepreneurs um, because you, not, you don't get that mat leave. And if you're the CEO of your company, you have to be there. But it's really mm-hmm. cool to think about, hear about how she's thinking about that as well. Oh, yeah. Totally. Totally. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Welcome back to another episode. Today we have Sheena Brady with us. Sheena is a serial entrepreneur. She's the founder of Tease Tea and Founders Fund. She also works at Shopify. So I would say you're an entrepreneurship expert, Sheena. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a part of this conversation today. Awesome. So to start us off, take us back to the beginning. It was 2013 when you started Tease, right? Yeah. So in 2013, I had basically was coming to an end of 10 years in hospitality leadership. Like that was supposed to be my forever career. Uh, I went to school for hospitality. I had worked in the industry. Uh, Like I said, for a decade, I wanted to own a restaurant and I was also a professional wine sommelier. And so, um, That journey led me to working at an incredible hotel called the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto. And I was asked to build the biggest tea menu in the entire city. Uh, But plot twist, I didn't even drink tea at the time. So I kind of had my work cut out for me. And um, not only did I have to curate like the largest tea program in the entire city of Toronto, but I also had to execute these really uh, intense ceremonies. So, you know, whether it was a Japanese tea ceremony or a Chinese tea ceremony or how the Moroccans prefer their tea, you know, if guests came from different countries and wanted to experience a taste of home, we had to be able to provide that experience. And so that's where I embarked on a journey to become a certified tea sommelier, which I always joke is a real thing, believe it or not. And (laughs) what was amazing about that journey is that my love for, um, my love for wine actually totally translated to tea because, you know, you have 
have this unique plant that creates this incredible product that has so many variations depending on where it's harvested, how it's processed, the climate, the soil, all of that nerdy stuff. Um, And also I learned through surviving off of like 10 cups of coffee a day uh, to get through the long shifts. Anybody who's worked in hospitality knows what I'm talking about. Um, When I discovered tea, all of a sudden I had that light bulb moment that, oh, wait a minute. However, I'm feeling there's a tea for that. I don't need to always just default to coffee, which, you know, I I still enjoy a good cup of coffee in the morning, but too much of anything is not good, especially consuming um, the amount that I was, which would lead to anxiety and stomach problems and sleep issues. And the list goes on. And so I I found uh, so much comfort through tea and I could experiment with, you know, enjoying different types of blends depending on how I was feeling. And so that was really the catalyst of, of launching teas back in 2013. Wow. Okay. There is a lot there. So (laughs) post-launch, what happens from there? You eventually leave your career. Obviously, at some point, um, you moved on to Shopify. Give us the kind of next phase. Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, working in hospitality was so demanding. I was working like 60, sometimes 70 hours a week. It was wild. And so it just was not an environment set up for success to run a business at the same time, especially a teeny tiny, you know, little hobby business at the time that I wanted to get off the ground. I just simply didn't have the time. So uh, I made the sacrifice and I, I quit my career in hospitality. And I decided to find a job um, doing something that'd be supportive. And so enter Shopify. And side note, all I did to launch my business, you know, with teas is I I had $500 in a Shopify store. And I thought, well, I don't have a lot of transferable skills to Shopify other than a Shopify store. So I wonder if I can work for their support team because I'm literally in the Shopify platform every day. And so sure enough, I was able to, uh, you know, move through those interviews and, and get a job working in customer support. And so that's where it started. And it was great because I, you know, I had these boundaries all of a sudden that I didn't have before where I knew what my working hours were working at Shopify. Um, and I could, you know, get up early and, and run my business and then work my Shopify life. And then if I needed to, you know, pick up where I left off in the evenings, um, I just did what needed to be done in those early days. I love it. And so I actually want to take one little step back. You were developing teas kind of on the side. Was there ever a thought in your mind, like maybe I should take this full time prior to jumping into support at Shopify? Oh my gosh, no, because I was not making nearly enough money to pay (laughs) the bills. Like, you know, I, I remember distinctly in the early days thinking, well, what if my side hustle could pay for my cell phone bill? Mm-hmm. Like, how cool would that be? And then once that achievement was unlocked, I was like, oh, well, what if what if my tea company could pay for my rent? And then it was it just kept kind of growing from there. What if, what if? And yeah. then next thing I knew, the bigger I grew, the more problems I had. And now I was hiring people to kind of run things at teas uh, while I continued to work at Shopify. And I think I'm very privileged in the fact that I work at a company that supports entrepreneurs so much in the first place. And I get that that's not everyone's experience. Um, But that was my experience, you know, in in my, in my career uh, Mm -hmm. and specifically choosing to work at Shopify. And, you know, I, I'm no longer working in support. I only worked in support. I joked for like a hot five seconds and now I work in leadership at Shopify. And uh, I still, I've been doing that role for the last five and a half years while growing my business in parallel. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing I don't, 
think a lot of people think about is it is really hard with an e-commerce business where literally every single piece of the success of this company falls on your shoulders. It is really hard to only let that take over 10% of your life or 20% of your life or whatever that boundary is. How did you go about, you know, choosing what to do versus what just wasn't high priority because you had another full-time job? Yeah, that's a good question. So I was working, I chose to work unique hours. Like I was working 11 to seven uh, for Shopify in the early days. And so from seven to 11, I knew like, okay, this is my time for teas. And even if I didn't use that full few hours to work on my business, uh, I made sure that I got through the mission critical things that would, you know, number one, move the needle for my company. Um, and number two would generate revenue. So those were really the two things I, I always prioritize and moving the needle can mean painfully slow progress, but like things like reaching out for PR, for media opportunities, ah. things like that, where you sometimes you have to knock on a hundred doors before you even hear back from three people. If you're lucky, it's like that conversion rate in e-commerce. I actually like to apply to life. You know, they say in e-commerce, if you've got a 3% conversion rate on average, mm -hmm. you're killing it. I apply that to everything in life. It's like, if you want, you know, media or big opportunities and you knock on a hundred doors and three people want to talk to you, like you're crushing it. And so I, I just spent a lot of my time intentionally uh, focused on, on those two things, the things that bring money and, and then the things that take a little bit more time, but eventually move the needle for the business. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you spoke to intentionally there, which something when I was doing research really stood out to me was you intentionally have built social impact into everything you do from eco-friendly packaging to ensuring every person in your production process earns a fair wage to your charity initiatives and then the Founders Fund. Can you talk a little bit about where that drive for social impact came from? Yeah, absolutely. And hearing you talk about it like that, like sometimes I feel we look like the poster child of the idealistic social enterprise. Um, but I always like to remind people, uh, we never had everything figured out from day one, but we've been learning from day one. And Tease has been around for almost eight years. And so, you know, we've always been very intentional, like when we have an opportunity to do better, how can we and what does that look like? And we just always challenge ourselves for that. So, you know, Tease was a social enterprise from almost day one, but not exactly day one. And how it became a social enterprise was quite simply, okay, well, I, I love tea. That's my my passion, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, but let's be real. There's a, at the time, there was a David's Tea in every shopping mall, a Tavana mm -hmm. everywhere. Um, you know, it's a very, very competitive space. And I thought, okay, well, what's, what's going to make us unique? What's going to make us stand out? And in 2013, you know, there weren't a lot of like social enterprise just really wasn't as trendy a, a, as it is today, but it was important for me at that time to cut through the noise of the, 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 the competitive landscape of tea and also remind people why our tea matters and why our company matters. And so I had to do a lot of internal reflection on that, a lot of introspection and think, well, why does this company matter to me? Like, what do I, what do I want to do with this company? What do I want its purpose to be? And so, uh, honestly, quite simply, from my own very complicated uh, upbringing and under-supported upbringing, and uh, you know, which is probably a conversation for like a Dr. Phil episode, but I knew that <laughs> I really just wanted to be a part of seeing other women succeed, yep. and so. That is really how social impact started. I didn't even know that's what it was called, but I just thought, how can I invest in other women um, the way I wish I had a little bit more support and investment, you know, growing up? And so 
At first, it looked like um, investing in programs dedicated to empowering women. So whether you were a shelter or a startup, we would feature a new organization every month. Um, If we had Finance, if we had the means to financially contribute, we would uh, provide a donation. Uh, sometimes it made sense if this organization had an event, we would do product donation. And sometimes it just simply meant showing up and volunteering our time. So we used one of those three currencies of investing in women uh, every single month, a different organization, which was great. But then flash forward to 2019, when the company really started to grow, I thought, well, this is starting to feel a little bit transactional because there's so much, there's so many moving parts with having to start a new relationship every single month. Hmm. And then also, you know, some of these organizations, they're doing incredible work, but you don't really get to see what the impact is. And it's my customers at the end of the day who are investing in these in these um, programs, not my company necessarily, because they're the ones buying the tea. So how can I better translate that impact and storytell why their investment in teas matters. And so I did another moment of heavy introspection and I thought, okay, well, what, what has the last few years of my life looked like? And like, what's really evolved in terms of what's important to me, that foundation of empowering women and elevating women and investing in them is still there. But I had a really messy journey as an entrepreneur. And I I thought it was so much more difficult to access resources and opportunities for my business than it needed to be. And then when I spoke to other women, I learned that I wasn't alone. In fact, you know, there are other communities of women that have it disproportionately even more difficult, especially, you know, women of color um, and other underrepresented groups. And so that was the catalyst of launching the Founders Fund in 2019 which is still run by Tease Tea to this day. And basically um, the Tease Tea Founders Fund invests in mentorship, funding, and resources for women entrepreneurs. And to date, uh, I'm super proud to share that we've invested over $150,000 in women-owned businesses and wow. supported mentorship across 500 women. That's amazing. That's huge. And think about when you started. This was not that long ago. And I know other organizations, even um, SheEO, which I was a part of, you know, that didn't really gain traction until they had a group of 10,000 activators who were able to really get the the word out. How did you go about going from inception to your first investment in one of these companies? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the important things to share is when I say, you know, we invested $150,000 into women entrepreneurs, I should actually add that we've raised and invested collectively. So, you know, by building the community of Founders Fund. So when it first started in 2019, what we decided to do was challenge successful entrepreneurs and simply say, what are you doing to pay your success forward? Can you contribute the currency of time and help mentor some of these incredible, you know, next generation of uh, budding women entrepreneurs? Uh, Or can you invest uh, the currency of money and actually help fund and grant money, uh, some of these women founders and their companies. And so the very first year we were able to raise $40,000 across a few successful entrepreneurs, myself included, and then also, um, create mentorship programming for 200 women. And that was in our first year. And I thought, okay, well, can we make this even bigger and better? So then moved to, to 2020 and we kind of took it to the next level by adding a, a membership element where we decided to, you know, make investing in women accessible to everyone. And so you could become a member at Founders Fund for uh, the price of, you know, $225. And there was a sliding scale component if, you know, your business was struggling a bit. And um, with that investment, half of it goes directly to the funding pool that 
these women can apply for. And then the other half goes to the programming uh, costs associated with, you know, lining up those mm-hmm. group mentorship sessions. And so now all of a sudden we created this very accessible program where at nearly any stage of growth, you can invest in yourself as a founder, but also invest in other women. Um, and so that just seemed to, yeah, like really take off and resonate. Mm. And I, I think your intentions are like so obvious here. One thing we didn't talk about on this uh, in this conversation, but one thing I've heard you talk about previously is the value of capital or smart money um, paired with the kind of mentorship portion of it. You had an experience, and you'll tell this way better than I can, with T's, you were going to a bank, you were trying to get some capital, you ended up growing this big company off the backs of credit cards, which kudos to you. I literally don't even know how you did that. Um, But then you went away, you got some advice on how to position your company and what it is you were looking for. Tell us a bit about that story and how that played a role in the way that you've developed the mentorship part of your fund. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for bringing that up because it is hugely important to to me personally and, and obviously to Founders Fund. But, you know, I think financial literacy is a really important skill that a lot of women brush aside, understandably, because we're constantly in the trenches of our businesses, you know, running, you know, marketing and operations and product fulfillment and, and everything else that that goes on with it. And so oftentimes financial literacy ends up just becoming uh, an afterthought. And so what I learned the hard way is that I got in the own, it got in my own way for my business to access capital way longer than I should have, like five years. And so, you know, the, the, not so impressive. Um, it sounds impressive, but it's really not. The fact I like to share with people is that Tease did its first half a million dollars in revenue with a $1,000 credit card limit. Yeah, that's insane. So I crazy. literally do not understand how that happened. Yeah. And so neither do I. And it was it was awful. It was absolutely awful. And while it sounds impressive, like, oh, you were able to do that kind of growth with only a $1,000 credit card limit, what that looked like behind the scenes was me begging my bank for loans and getting rejected, uh, me having to resort to third-party B lenders, so yep. you know private institutions who were loaning me money at twenty-three percent interest rate. Oh my rate. gosh, that's predatory! Yeah. Absolutely, it is. And then daily repayment terms. And then uh, what else did I have to do? That was really like the biggest thing that I had to do to try and get by. And then the comical thing was when I was, you know, having a terrible relationship with my bank manager, let's say I had to get order tea inventory and it was like $10,000 and I needed to pay for that inventory on a credit card, but my credit card only had a thousand dollar limit. So then I would have to get this, you know, monstrous loan out at 23% interest use that money to overpay my credit card. So it was in a negative $10,000. So then I could buy the inventory and then I would get angry calls from my bank manager being like, you're getting flagged for money laundering. You can't overpay your credit card. And I'm like, you're, you're putting me in this position over and over and over again. Of course, I'm not money laundering. I have no other way to like pay for this product. And, And I had to explain this. And so what ended up happening was, long story short, I was at this event hosted by Startup Canada, and there was, um, I always forget his name. I feel so bad. I should remember it because he transformed my entire business in that moment. But he was like the vice president of client relations or something like that. And he did this big speech about how BDC is the bank for entrepreneurs and that they're here to really help you know entrepreneurs at any stage. And I thought, okay, well, I, I'm going to really go shake this guy down and, and say what's up and, and actually see if he can walk the talk. And so I went and found him 
after his talk. And I said, can you sit down with me for five minutes? And he said, absolutely. And I said, this is the state of my business. And I explained to him everything I just explained to you. He said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry you're going through that. Uh, I'm going to send an account manager to your office to talk to you next week. And I thought to myself, I am not holding my breath. Like Mm -hmm. I'm so used to having to like haul myself to the bank. Like no one's going to come see me. Mm -hmm. Sure enough, this woman, Catherine, who's still my account manager to this day, um, Yeah. She came to my office and she sat down with me and she said, okay, walk me through the numbers. And I slid her a pile of papers and I said, here you go. And she said, no, 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 no. Like like, walk me through them. Walk me through your P&L. Walk me through your balance sheet. You know, what's your equity? She started asking me all these seemingly simple questions that I should have not only been able to answer, but give her very good context as to why those numbers were what they were. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't. And so in that moment, she's like, okay, like, let me better understand like you as the entrepreneur, how does your business operate? Like, let's take it back to the beginning. And so we spend time like really dissecting my business. She then spent time walking me through every line on these um, reports and, and what they mean and how they, you know, what part of the story of the business that they tell. And so basically in that moment, she taught me how to better advocate for myself as a founder and how to advocate for myself to um, a banker so that they can better advocate for me to their underwriters who are the ones who are ultimately making decisions for loans. So all of a sudden she said, okay, I'm probably able to get you a term sheet, this loan um, with reasonable rates, but I want you to go back to your home bank with a new account manager. Um, because by that time, like, you know, she was basically wanting to fire me as like a client because I was harassing her nonstop and she was giving me really bad advice. And anyway, um, so I got a new account manager and I, you know, I had a conversation, uh, with them based on, you know, Catherine's advice. And, um, what's ironic is that at that moment, you know, I ended up going with my bank and they were able to not only give me a line of credit, but also issue a loan and increase my credit card rate. Um, but they beat the interest rates that BDC were able to offer, which is, yeah, which is incredible, but I still work with BDC and this other bank, like to this day, Mm -hmm. um, for, for different projects. And so, I, I, yeah, I just learned the hard way, um, not, like what the, you know, what having poor financial literacy skills can, can do for your business. And on top of that, another important thing, like a lot of women have a hard time accessing capital for their business because they have, you know, a thin credit file. Like, you know, there's a lot yeah. of data to show that women avoid taking on non-essential debt. And so that was kind of my problem too. In my early, when I was 18, I had a credit card and then I was stuck paying these crazy interests and all these fees. And I thought, no, 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 no. I I lost it by the time I was 20. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have a credit card from 20 to 26 years old. And I thought I was being a good girl. I thought, you know, I'm not spending money I don't have. I thought I was doing all the right things you're supposed to do, except if your dream is to open a business one day. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I opened that, you know, when I started my business and again, applying for these loans, you know, I had no, I had no real track record to prove I was capable of taking on debt uh, and repaying it successfully because I, I was a ghost to CRA, right? And so that um, that was just another lesson in the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, you definitely paid the price. That is not a fun way to learn the lesson, but think of how many people you've helped and prevented from getting into the same situation. It was not in vain. If you were to give advice to people, especially women who maybe don't have the financial literacy that they need in order to get funding for their businesses, where do they start? What's step one? Yeah, I think step one 
would probably be to just simply better understand your numbers. And, you know, you can easily do that by looking at your profit and like, let's say you're using QuickBooks or something like that. You look at those profit and loss statements, your balance sheet, and it's okay. Like Google what those terms mean and learn what they mean. And, um, talk to a, an advisor if you're if you're not sure where to even start online or a mentor or someone that you look up to who has a successful business who can walk you through um, ask for that help to begin with I didn't ask for it for five years actually I only got the help unsolicited um, you know five years into my business and I, I wish I had done it much sooner but that would be one um, the other thing too is don't outsource your bookkeeping until absolutely necessary oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of people like they just get afraid of numbers and they're like, let me get this off this plate as soon as possible. But I was my own bookkeeper for the first six years of my company. And I'm so glad that I did that because I knew where every single dollar was going in my Mm -hmm. company. And, and every dollar that was coming in. And so, you know, even when Catherine from BDC had that talk with me and she was asking me all these questions, I was able to actually answer them because I knew like I I run, like I run the company, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I knew where all the money was going. I just didn't know how to speak like a banker to a banker, if that makes sense in a way that better advocates for my business. But thankfully, because, um, you know, I did my own bookkeeping for years, I did actually, you know, understand a lot about where that where the money was coming and going and all that good stuff. And so I always tell, you know, new founders, like try to hold on to your bookkeeping as long as possible. And then when you do eventually delegate, trust that they know what they're doing, but verify that they know what they're doing. Because that was another painful mistake that I made. The first year that I delegated my bookkeeping, it turns out, and I don't work with this company anymore, but thank God, um, but they actually messed up my books so bad that I thought I was going to report like a six-figure profit that year working with them, but I ended up having to report a five-figure loss. (gasps) And my my book... My books have been stained ever since. Like I I had a huge successful track record of being a profitable company year over year over year, except for that one year, the one year that I delegated and I would show up to these monthly meetings with my bookkeeper and they would show me, you know, the, the, the reports every month. And I'd be like, okay, great. Things look great. I can make decisions based on the information that you're giving me. And so I made, you know, these investment decisions, like purchasing a ton of extra packaging and inventory. And I basically overspent um, and put my company in a hole one year, uh, because the data they were giving me was wrong. And so trust your bookkeeper, but verify. And even if Mm -hmm. that means someone a hundred dollars to just quickly audit your books and make sure that everything looks in order, like always, always do that. Like it's so important. Wow. That is really good advice and actually not something I've thought of, but it makes sense. And that is scary. Wow. (laughs) Um, obviously you've come a long way over the years, which is awesome to hear and you've grown and learned so much. I'm curious though, what's the biggest thing that's holding you back right now? What is the biggest thing that's holding me back right now? Um, I mean, the, one of the obvious things is I, one of the things that keeps me up a lot at night, you know, I I do work in leadership at Shopify and, and candidly, sometimes I wonder if I, if I didn't work full time, uh, what would my business look like? Would it be Mm -hmm. 10 times? than it is now. Like who knows? Or on the flip side, maybe it it wouldn't be because I've had the security of a, of a, of a consistent paycheck over the years. Yep. Um, and so it was easy for me to make investments with my company on products and stuff like that when, my, when I always had a roof over my head, mm-hmm. right? Um, so maybe that wouldn't be the case. Um, and then sometimes I wonder when I get 
the world's seemingly most awful business problems thrown my way. Cause like I said, the bigger your business, just the bigger the problems. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'm like, why, why do I have this? Like, why did I sign up for this? Like I have many of those WTF moments. Where I'm yep. like, I, I could have just, you know, been like an Uber Eats driver to make more money. Like, why, did yeah. I decide, why did I decide to like run this huge company on top of having um, a full-time job? Right. And so, yeah, I think like those, those things definitely hold me back because um, I, again, I'm very privileged and I have this, you know, I get to work in a world where um, entrepreneurship is encouraged at Shopify, which is great. But then I always wonder have I been holding myself back? Um, and, and what does that look like? But I, I try to show myself some some grace too and, and know that I just look at my track record. Mm-hmm. I look at the incredible growth that the business has had year over year. I look at my growth as a human beyond a business owner. I've only grown as a better human and a better leader because I work at Shopify, mm-hmm. frankly, while running my business. And oh, those, like my, my world is a really cool ecosystem, to be honest. And it, it's been a really great ride. Oh, yeah. And so, so related. Everything you do has ties back to everything you've done, which I think is really cool. And actually, you know what? Starting this podcast, I kind of naively thought that there was going to be more of a blueprint for how to run a successful company. And what I'm learning every single interview we do is just how crazy that notion is. Like, I even Greg from you know one of our other episodes said the exact same thing he was like i would have been way more stressed way more manic my team would have hated me if this decision or this blunder was a matter of like do i eat this week or not you know what i mean so i totally get you know everything is in its place for a reason and greg is a great example like i don't i don't know if you're aware but greg is like literally one of my best friends of all Mm -hmm. time (laughs) he's also my business like we're pure mentors and i think like I've survived because of him. And I think if you if you would ask him, I would like to think he would say the same thing, that we've both survived as business owners because of each other. Um, we both started our businesses around the same time. I don't know if you know this actually, but we both worked at the Shangri-La Hotel. Yeah. Um, I connected yeah. the dots when you said that. I was like, ah, oh, Greg worked there. I see the connection. Is that where you guys met, Sheena? Yeah, we met. I was his boss. Yeah. No. I, <laughs> I was just, he worked, we both worked at Shangla Hotel and it's so funny because he saw me on my phone one day and he's like, because we weren't allowed phones on the floor at a fancy hotel, like that just, it, no, and he no. called me. Yeah. He's like, you, you're not supposed to be on your phone, boss. Like, <laughs> check out there. I'm like, oh, it's, you know, I don't tell anyone, but I started a business. And he's like, what? What do you mean you started a business? I said, yeah, I started a Shopify store. So I'm just trying to figure out this whole Shopify app thing um, because I didn't know anything about technology. I was such like an analog girl in a digital world at mm-hmm. that time, which is hilarious now that I, I, I work at one of the world's best tech companies and own an e-commerce company. Um, but yeah, at the time, like I, I didn't really know what I was doing. And he's like, what do you mean you started a business? And he was so intrigued. And he's like, I want to start a business too. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, first he launched a bread company, yeah. um, didn't work out. And then he started making bath bombs out of his condo. And now he's just, you know, he's, as you know, he's created this incredible brand called Bithorium, but we've built our businesses in parallel side by side. And he's just been that person that when I'm having these painful lows that no one else would get, mm-hmm. like I have him to talk to. Totally. Um, and vice versa. And then, you know, in the moments where I have these incredible wins that again, not many people would get, like finding a new supplier where I'm saving 12 cents a unit on packaging, like that's a huge win, but not a lot of people would understand that. Greg, Greg's my go-to, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think we've both just been highly 
like motivated by each other over the years. And that is probably other, like another key piece of advice I'd give to any founder early on their journey is try to find someone like you who's on the same level um, in their business and, you know, lean on each other along the way because it, it really helps when the going gets tough. Totally. I mean, you guys are obviously kindred spirits. Even if I didn't know you were friends before, I think I could listen to both of these episodes and even just hear what both of you care about and where your priorities are. And I think it would click. <laughs> I, I think so too. Yeah. We, we joke sometimes, you know, like when, what did we sign up for with running a business? Our, our joke to each other is, yeah, we should have just, you know, maybe packed groceries, you know, <laughs> like, just something simple. like sometimes we just crave that simple life where you could just like have a job and clock out and Literally. like that, you know, Literally. and sometimes we have those moments and then we're like, you know what though? We, we, we don't really roll that way every day. So we, we really like the, the chaos and we, we're really hungry for that next stage of growth as humans, as founders, as leaders, as business owners. So it, mm-hmm. we're exactly where we're supposed to be, even though we have our moments. Oh, you mm-hmm. so are. And it's actually funny. My dad just retired and um, he his whole thing is like he should he wishes in his alternate life that he would be a forklift driver that you can literally just clock out you can be totally done you go home you're not thinking about the forklift after 5 p.m you're just living your life and he says in the moment being a forklift driver seems like the better option and you look back and you're like what i actually feel proud of being like you know living this um version of my life that didn't push me to go like beyond my boundaries and his answer is obviously not um, yeah and so when and everyone because for some people, that is living their fulfilling life, right? Like just totally. having a job, that steady paycheck, coming home to your family, living your best life with your family, and and that's it. But for people who just are constantly, endlessly hungry for more, that that doesn't that doesn't feed their soul. Exactly. So. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, speaking of feeding your soul, if we fast forward, let's say three years. That's my favorite number because everyone has a five-year plan. Nobody has a three-year plan. So I love kind of catching people on their back foot. But if we were to fast forward three years, what does life look like for you? And then we can actually go into what it looks like relative to Founders Fund and relative to T's. Yeah. So for me as a human, is that where we're starting? Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, we, I mean, candidly, we are plant like we're, we're trying to have another child. Like, you know, I have it, I have a three-year-old. Oh my goodness. And um, she's so cute. Please, please, please have another. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we're trying. So we've been trying for uh, a few months now. And like I said, I'm an open book and um, it's taking, you know, longer and a little bit more difficult than, um, than the first time. And, and I think it's important to actually talk about it and, and normalize oh, that. Totally. Yeah. Yep. That's why I just want to be candid. Um, because I joke that, you know, my, my husband and I, he basically just winked at me the first time and I got pregnant. <laughs> so <laughs> I kind of had this unrealistic expectation that it, that it would happen again. And it's just so not the case. And so I think it's just really important to normalize that. So in terms of, yeah, what, what works, uh, what I'm looking forward to hopefully in the next couple of years is obviously growing uh, our family if we're blessed enough to have another uh, child. So that's a really big one. And I am just becoming the queen of like succession planning slowly in my journey. And, oh, wow. Uh, I've got an incredible COO slash general manager at Founder, uh, sorry, at Tees and Founders Fund. Her name is Amanda. She was actually the one who pitched with me on alongside me on on Dragon's oh, Den. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And so she has been a part of Tees and Founders Fund for a year and a half or so. And um, so yeah, I've just been like, you know, slowly grooming her to like be a full on badass COO of like both organizations. And so 
um, yeah, really kind of slowly handing her to the keys to everything and like, you know, sharing my lessons learned along the way and and how that might help her continue to grow and evolve uh, Tease and and Founders Fund as an organization. So um, because I think like, you know, you can only do so much as as one person. And if you really do have big, audacious dreams, you really got to lean on the right people and team to make it happen. And so I'm just really lucky to have uh, her in my corner because she's a big part of that. Oh, I love it. And I think something we hear a lot too is like building that strong team is so important and building those foundations of your business so you can step away and you can, you know, grow other areas. I think that's incredible. And also it's so exciting to hear about, um, you know, growing your family. That's amazing. And I love that you touched on that. Um, and, you know, just to kind of add to that and growing our family, like I want to be off the grid for a bit when I get mm-hmm. to be, you know, a mom to another totally. child. And I didn't, I didn't get that luxury the first time because again, I was really shitty at succession planning and delegating. And so I'll never forget this, but my daughter was born in 2018. And because I didn't delegate the company to anyone, um, like I was, I was going into our warehouse, helping to pack orders and breastfeeding at the same time. And now like my, my daughter had a playpen at the warehouse that she would nap in and have diaper changes. And and it was just, it was, I would go to bank meetings. She'd have to come with me. Like it was just this whole, this whole universe. I'm like, why, why did I set myself up like this? Like this is, this is on me. And so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, when, when we grow our family, it's like, no, there'll be an incredible woman totally in charge of all the things that I can actually be off the grid and enjoy motherhood. um, Mm -hmm. So I think, (laughs) No, yeah, I'm so happy you talked about that because I think that's probably something a lot of female entrepreneurs think about is like, how can you do both or can you can you step away? Um, so I love that you've touched on that. That's incredible. Yeah. One thing we ask everyone who comes on the show, obviously, we think you get it majorly. And we're wondering, who do you think gets it? Who do I think gets it? Um, I knew that you had this question because I listened to your podcast, but I never, I didn't realize you were going to ask me, but obviously (laughs) it catches a lot of people off guard, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Who do I think gets it? Well, I mean, okay. So I I am going to say Amanda Baker, who's our, who's our, uh, our COOTs because, and I, and I was going to say Greg because he does too, but that goes without saying that's an easy, very easy one, but (laughs) Um, what I've come to learn, and this might sound a little bit harsh, but what I have come to learn in leadership in my years in hospitality, Shopify, and in business is that excellence seems to be very underrated. Mm, like, yeah, more people than not actually, like not a lot of people actually strive for excellent and have this really intense desire to go after opportunities, or I'm just going to be frank have a lot of fucks to give. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. what Greg and I call it, you know, like, mm-hmm. and so how do you, how do you screen people for that? How do you hire for that? Like it's, it's so difficult. Um, but I, I have that in spades above and beyond with, wow. with Amanda. Yeah. And she's just incredible. Like she will fight me on font choices. Oh, I love that. You know, like, mm-hmm. so to challenge me on font choices like that is just how much she cares and lives and breathes like what we do at tees and founders fund um and so she's got fucks to give for days and i love that about her uh and so that mean like so to me she just gets it in the most literal sense yeah no kidding we all need amanda's in our life yes, i'm convinced we all need in our life yeah <laughs> she gets it because she cares 
Totally, totally. And that drive, I think, yeah, it's not something you can necessarily cultivate, but when you find it, you latch on 100%. Yeah. Sheena, this has been really fun. I swear we could do two hours just talking about everything. We didn't even really get into the fund as much as we were planning on, but I thought there was so much good stuff and so many takeaways. Oh, good. I'm so glad. And if anyone's listening is curious about Founders Fund, just visit us at foundersfund.ca uh, and you can you can learn about us there and we have your back if you want to be a part to, of our community to level up your business. Oh, I love that. I think there's probably a lot of our listeners who would be interested in something like that. So we'll link it in the show notes too. That's amazing. But yeah, thank you again, Sheena. It's been so fun chatting with you today and maybe we'll have to do a part two in the future. I would love that. Anytime. Let's do it. That was such a good episode. I think the thing that stuck out the most for me, which is probably not a surprise given all the types of questions I just asked in this conversation, is the idea of holding bookkeeping as a founder until you just physically or feasibly cannot do it any longer. Um, I think we hear a lot of times, especially in e-commerce and kind of this hustle culture, that you do what you do best and you outsource everything else. While I definitely think that rule applies when it comes to the numbers and the financials and kind of the health of your business, I think as a founder, it's a huge risk to not understand those numbers forwards and backwards. And I think what Sheena's advice um, really like turned into is if you're not super comfortable, lean into that figure it out, Google everything, talk to advisors, do what you need to do to make yourself comfortable with that part of your business because you really just can't afford to take that risk. Yeah, completely. And just, yeah, like knowing how to speak to your money and being able to bring that to conversations is super interesting to me and definitely not something I was really aware of before. So I learned something today. Mm -hmm. And another thing I learned is getting a peer mentor that's, it seems, I guess, like, kind of duh, but I'd never thought of it before. Uh, not only getting mentors who are, you know, a few steps ahead of you, but also someone who's in the trenches with you at that same stage. Because yeah, if you have a mentor who's ahead of you, they'll still have advice, but they might not remember what it was like in that exact moment. And so I think finding someone who's at a similar stage to you as, um, as a mentor is such a good idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, like literally Sheena and Greg, they're best friends. They are both serial entrepreneurs and they're in this kind of growth stage of both of their companies at the same time. It doesn't get better than that. It's so cool. I love it. Kelsey, you're my peer mentor. You're mine too. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. How lucky are we? So lucky. All right. Well, with that, we will wrap up this episode. And as always, ratings, reviews, subscribes really help us out. So please go ahead and do that if you enjoy our content. And we will see you next week. See you then. Oh, 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 oh,